0: Friends, today we begin a new sermon series through the book of the prophet Habakkuk. Now, I saw a meme on the internet this week that said, when your pastor says, open up to Habakkuk, and the church responds by saying, give me a minute. Where is the book of Habakkuk in the Bible? Who is Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk is the eighth of the minor prophets. And if you count reverse, he is—he wrote the fifth to last book in the Old Testament. So if you have a hard time finding Habakkuk, just go back, go to the end of the Old Testament, and count five books back, and you find it. Habakkuk brings a message of faith. Faith in a God who judges, but also in a God who shows mercy. And friends, at the heart of the message of Habakkuk, there is a call to trust God because He works out His mercy through judgment. We live in a world that is uncomfortable with the concept of judgment. But the Bible tells us if God does not judge, He cannot pardon. pardon. So, so my goal with this series that we're, going to be, that we're going to be looking at for the next two months, is that you would rejoice in the mercy of God, but that you would also rejoice in the judgment of God. That you would know that God is to be praised for all things. So, would you turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 11 together. The oracle, the Habakkuk, the prophet saw, For the wicked surround the righteous, and justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am rising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. I wonder If you had all sovereign power, if you had control of all things and you could change your past, would you? I wonder if you had control of all things and you could change any event in the past, would you change history? Would you change your own experiences in life? I think most of us, perhaps all of us, would say, yes. Yes, I would. And yet, the Lord in His wisdom has so designed history that it should take place as it has. The Lord in His wisdom has so designed our lives and orchestrated our lives that it should take place as it has. The good things, the bad things, the joys, the trials. Those things that we've done right, the mistakes we have done. Because God is bringing about something in us that we, in our wisdom, would never produce. God is doing something in us and in all of humanity that we, in all our wisdom, would never imagine. So friends, my goal, my goal is to turn our eyes away from ourselves and my goal is to help us see that wisdom does not live within us so that we can look to God and understand that when we cry out to the Lord, He always answers. The Lord never leaves us without answer. And here's my guiding thoughts. Go, God always answer our prayers, but he does so according to what we need and not necessarily according to what we want. God's perceived idleness when we ask and we pray Is never due to lack of His response, but always due to our lack of awareness that He is working out His will in our lives. So, as we look at our text today, we're going to break down our text into three sections. We're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to consider the context and background of Habakkuk. Then we're going to look at verses 2 through 4, and we're going to consider Habakkuk's plea for justice. And then verses 5 through 11, we're going to consider God's surprising answer. So Habakkuk was a prophet, which means that he spoke the words of God to God's people. You see that in verse 1? A prophet who spoke oracles. The revelation of God. Now, literally here, oracles mean burden. A burden that God put in his heart through a vision. Habakkuk's prophecy is not a light one. His prophecy is one of judgment. God will punish his covenant-breaking people. They will be plundered By a nation that is mightier than them, they will be plundered by a nation that is more wicked than them. They will go into exile. Habakkuk's prophecies here is is predicting what is famously known as the Babylonian exile. But his prophecy is also one of mercy. Mercy. God's last word to His people is never judgment. God's last word to His people is always mercy. That is true of Israel, and that is true of you and me when we trust in Jesus Christ. So, the message of Habakkuk, though heavy, Like a burden. It is ultimately a message of hope. A message of restoration. If you have walked into these doors today. And you wonder if there is hope left for you. If you wonder if God can forgive you. If you wonder if God can restore you, the answer that Habakkuk puts before you is, yes, he can. If you wonder if the hardships of your life mean that the Lord has forgotten you, the answer that Habakkuk puts before you is, no, he has not. And if you approach him in faith, your hardships will turn out to be a blessing. The challenges that you're facing right now in your life will turn out to be the very things that God will use to shape you after the image of His own Son. The end result of God's discipline for His children is Holiness. And this is important. Why? Because without holiness, we will not see the Lord. So friends, we are a people who see the judgments of God, who see His hard providence, and we praise Him for that. It is interesting that most prophets speak to the people on behalf of God. Habakkuk is different though. He speaks to God on behalf of the people. In some ways, Habakkuk is like Job. He dialogues with God in order to understand the heart of God in the midst of suffering. In some ways, Habakkuk is like like Jacob, who wrestles with God and tells God, I will not let you go until you bless me. He doesn't see the problem of evil as an opportunity to deny God. But instead, when confronted with evil, he runs to God and tries to understand his circumstances in light of what God says. Just a little bit of historical context, Habakkuk's ministry Took place between the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel to the Assyrians in 722 BC and the fall of the southern kingdom of Judah to the Babylonians, right? Who, in this, in many of your versions, are called the Chaldeans in 586 BC. He was a contemporary of prophets like Nahum, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah, who were prophesying. Right before the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and the exile of Israel into Babylon. But what is the message of Habakkuk? Well, let's start looking at it today in our text. So first in verses 2 through 4, we see Habakkuk's plea for justice. We all know what it's like to long for justice in the face of oppression, don't we? Whether we are thinking of a nation unjustly oppressing another nation, or whether we are thinking of a government that legislates the oppression of its own people, on a more personal level, Perhaps you've been betrayed in a relationship. Perhaps you've been cheated on. Perhaps you have suffered abuse, neglect, and you long for justice. Does God care? Does the Lord care about our suffering? Does He hear our prayers? This is Habakkuk's question. And the answer ultimately is, yes, he does. Habakkuk asks the classic lament question. How long, O Lord? Again, in verse 3. Why? There's turmoil going on in Habakkuk's heart. What he knows of God and what he sees happening in the world do not coincide, do not match. There is great emotion here. The questions are not asked simply so that he would gain information. How long, O Lord, is asked as a cry unto the Lord? This is a question of a restless Heart. Verses 2 and 3, he sees violence. He sees iniquity, destruction, strife, contention. And from his perspective, the Lord is standing, standing idly by. It's an honest question. James four seventeen says, So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So, Habakkuk is really asking this question of the Lord. Lord, are you good? Lord, are you truly a benevolent God? Now, I wonder if you feel a little uncomfortable with that question asked of the Lord. Uh, Does the question that Habakkuk asked of God, does that make you feel slightly uncomfortable? Can we approach God in these terms? Is it even safe to ask these kinds of questions of God? But the picture that we see here, Is not of someone standing up and raising their feasts at God. But the picture that we see here is of a son approaching his father with questions. Have you ever watched a son playing physically with a loving father, wrestling with his father? Right At any moment, the father can crush the son, but the father doesn't do that. Because in his wrestling, the father is actually teaching the son how to be tough, how to be strong. This is the picture of a son who is weak, but approaches a strong father. Who will push him, who will wrestle with him, but never to the point of destruction. So when the Lord chastises those whom he loves, when the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, he does so to strengthen their faith and never to crush it. Habakkuk knows that. So he knows that he can approach God even with strong questions. How long, O Lord? And the Lord will answer him. Because the Lord for Habakkuk is a father and not an enemy. Now, in the beginning of verse 4, we see the word, so. Do right? you see that? So denotes results. We could replace that word with, therefore. Habakkuk's questioning gets even more bold. He is basically saying that from his perspective, God's idleness creates injustice. Look at verse 4. So the law is paralyzed. Injustice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Stop there. So verse 4 actually tells us a little bit more of the context. Who is the evil? Who is practicing evil? And it is those who are under the law, the Torah. This is the people of God. Habakkuk is speaking to God about his own people. God's own people are practicing injustice. God's own people are practicing violence and oppression. And because of their oppression, the law that is meant to do good is paralyzed. Now, not all the people right, are evil because, verse 4, we also see... That there are some who are wicked and some who are righteous. Well, that's true. So Habakkuk's intercession here is for those who are righteous among God's people who are being oppressed by those who are wicked among God's people. God's law is designed to bring about justice and protect the righteous, protect the weak. But here we find the law paralyzed. Do you know the experience of sitting on a turning lane, right? Traffic is getting heavy here in Melbourne, by the way. Us South Floridians are making our way up because it's better up here than down there. Have you ever sat on that turning lane patiently patiently waiting to turn and someone who is not as patient as you cuts in front of you? You know that feeling? What's the question you ask as soon as that happens? Where is the police when you most need them, right? They're cutting in front of me and they're not going to pay for that. Where is justice? Where are those who apply the law? But the problem here is greater. Did you notice there in verse 4? That yes, the law is paralyzed. Justice doesn't go forth. The wicked surround the the righteous. But not only that, look at that last clause. So justice goes forth perverted. The point here is, It's not that somebody cut in front of you, and police is not there to address it. It is the police officer who cut in front of you, and you know now there's nothing that can be done. Because he who is supposed to exercise justice is being unjust. You see the cry? Do you see why, why Habakkuk is in turmoil Friends, I think that there are a few things that we can learn about this passage and apply it to ourselves. First, we must be realistic about the condition of fallen humanity. We live in a world where the wicked surrounds the righteous. It is unwise and unsafe to be naive, being overly optimistic about the trajectory of history will lead us to be unprepared to face real-life circumstances. Jesus told us that in the world, we will have tribulation. In other words, we will suffer from the oppression of the wicked. So what should the righteous do? Jesus would say, take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, our cries for justice should drive us to Christ. They should drive us to find rest and peace in Christ. Because if the world is wicked, we can only find refuge in He, Who has overcome the world. I think another point here for us to keep in mind is that we need to remember that we are all part of the wicked, aren't we? We are so quickly, we're so quickly think of those beyond ourselves as those who commit harm. But in our hearts, but so often with our words and attitudes, we too are the wicked. So even as we say we praise God for His justice, at the same time, we need to remember, Lord, have mercy on me. Because if you exercise your justice, apart from the mercy that we receive in Christ, I too would be destroyed I, too, would be consumed. So as we look at injustice in the world, friends, let us not look at injustice as though it always takes place outside of ourselves. But let us be humble and understand that were it not for Christ, we would be no different. We can also learn from the prophet that when we see injustice, we ought to pour out our hearts to the Lord. We often feel tempted to pour out our hearts to social media, don't we? We engage in endless debates in WhatsApp chats. But do we bow ourselves before the Lord in brokenness? And cry out for justice. You know, this past 10 days, my my heart has been in turmoil. And even as I'm preparing this sermon, I I had such a hard time just separating the current events that are happening with the war in Ukraine. And what I'm reading in front of you, because I think some applications are due, but not all. Not every application of this text overlaps perfectly. And I am not sure. I am not sure of all events. I am not sure of everything. I do believe there is a people that is being deeply oppressed in Ukraine. And we need to pray for their delivery. And we need to pray for God's judgment on the wicked. But. Do we run to the Lord when our hearts are in turmoil because we see oppression? Friends, do we run to the Lord or do we run to the news? Do we run to the Lord or do we run to debates? Do we run to the Lord or do we, or do we run to endless conversations where the end goal is to prove ourselves right? When you feel your heart heavy, you need a refuge. You don't need to win debates. When you feel your heart heavy, you need to know that in Christ, your burdens are lifted. Everything outside of Christ is designed to give you greater burden. But Christ lifts your burden. And this is not just about the current events in history. This is about your life. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. Friends, God uses hardship. God uses trouble. God uses Suffering to draw you close to Him because He wants you to know that there is refuge in no one else and in nothing else but in God alone. When your soul is troubled, alcohol will lie to you. When your soul is troubled, illicit relationships will lie to you. When your soul is troubled, a pursuit of despondency will lie to you. They will say to you, I will give you rest. But that's a lie. Nothing will bring your soul to rest. But to know that God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. So can we commit this week to pour our hearts out to the Lord whether we're looking at the global scene or whether we're looking at our own homes, whether we're looking at our own lives, whether we're looking at our own struggles. Will we commit this week to pour out our hearts unto the Lord and find refuge just like the prophet in him, in him alone. Here's why. Because the Lord always Answers our cry to help. He doesn't answer our cries to help according to our wisdom, but according to His wisdom. Not according to what we want, but according to what we need. And He knows what we need. So we're going to consider now God's surprising answer. One thing that I've come to realize, parenting a toddler, uh, is that toddlers don't always know what they need right they often know what they want and this is crystal clear when it comes to nap time you know nap time if if i could have nap time every day i would receive that as a gift right wouldn't you but my son views nap time as a time to fight Although it is clear in his eyes that are glossy and slightly red, and it is clear in his attitude, easily irritable, that he needs a nap, that's the last thing he wants. He he doesn't want a nap and he will fight it until he's completely expired and we are done and we're saying, that's it, you're going to bed early tonight. Am I the only one who struggles with that? Okay, well, I'm glad I'm not. But much like my son, right, we too fight against that which we need. Because we think we know what we need, but what we know is what we want, and God is right now shaping your wants Shaping your desires to be according to His will. Because God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows what you need even when you don't even know what you're feeling and what you're desiring. Listen to First John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us according to His will. God hears our cries when our hearts are shaped after Him. So, this means that God answers prayers not according to what we would expect, but according to what He expects. In verse 5, God answers Habakkuk, but he answers in a way that Habakkuk would never expect. He says, look among the nations and see. You see, Habakkuk's eyes was among his people. God says, look among the nations. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, if we stopped here, right, we would probably assume good news is about to come. You know, as a matter of fact, I once went to speak at a Bible college in South Florida. And I saw printed on their wall this verse. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am, a, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. They clearly did not read the context of the book. This is not the news that Habakkuk was expecting. And what is the news? Look at verse 6. It's judgment. It's judgment. Verse 6, For behold, I am rising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not Their own. Habakkuk expected correction to come directly from the Lord to his people. He probably expected a gentle change of course that would redirect the people of Israel. But God instead promises judgment through a wicked people who would exercise total dominion. You see, Habakkuk didn't expect that the judgment would come to all, including Habakkuk himself. Who are the Chaldeans? And why does the Lord use them to chastise his people? Well, the next five verses are going to tell us. The Chaldeans were unjust people. Look at verse 7. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. You hear that? Their justice comes from within themselves. They were their own standard of right and wrong. But justice should never come from us. Justice ought to come From the Lord, He decides what is right and what is wrong. Right is right because God says so. And wrong is wrong because God says so. So we don't fabricate justice. We learn it from the Lord. We learn it from His Word. Number two, they were a powerful people. By the way, being unjust... And powerful is a very, very bad combination. Look at verse 8. They have horses that move around like leopards and wolves and even fly like eagles. Their horsemen are resilient. They press on regardless. Verse 9. They are a violent people. Now, the word violent was used earlier, wasn't it, in our opening verses? Habakkuk said that the wicked among Israel is violent. But now we see the word violent again, but it is used to describe the Chaldeans. The Lord is saying he will judge violence with violence. This is the typical, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The Bible calls this retributive justice. The crime that you have committed is going to be matched with the same level of punishment. We love retributive justice, don't we? until it is applied to us. They were also a defiant people. Look at verse 10. They scoff at kings. They laugh at rulers. They are wicked and unchallenged. Now, it is... Important for us to remember that Israel was created to be a blessing to other nations. But it was struggling to be a blessing even within itself. Abraham was called, interestingly enough, from Ur of the Chaldeans to inherit the land and be a blessing to all nations. But how can a nation that is violent towards its own people be a blessing to other nations? Peoples. Clearly, the Lord needed to intervene, didn't He? And He did. This wicked people took God's, took God's people into captivity. The Chaldeans promoted a reverse exodus. Once God delivered His people out of slavery in a great exodus, now God is delivering His people back into Slavery. The slavery would last 70 years. The people would be carried away. Jerusalem would be left in shambles. The line of kings would come to a halt. The temple, the religious center of Israel, would be destroyed for the first time. Priests and Levites would lose their purpose. Israel's ability to come meet with God would be interrupted. Is there hope left for the people of God? Would God revoke His promises? And this may be the question that you're asking today. Has God left me? Has God revoked his promises towards me? And the answer is no. God never revokes his promises. But listen to this, and this is at the heart of this book. But through judgment, God will ultimately work out the salvation of his people. Friends, without Judgment, there is no salvation. Without chastisement and discipline, there is no relationship. So, if your heart is troubled and if you're going through suffering and you're asking, Lord, why? The answer is because God is working out His salvation in you. So look at the providence of God as a blessing. As Spurgeon would say, kiss the wave that presses you against the rock of ages. If the Lord will discipline us so that we would know Him, may He discipline us every day of our lives. If the Lord is going to put us through harsh providence, may that be so that we may know Him in His holiness. Friends, if the Lord does not chastise you, then you should worry. Then you should be concerned. But if the Lord disciplines you, He loves you. He cares about you too much that He will not leave you to your own devices. He will not leave you to your own sinfulness. He will lead you to Him in the path of holiness. Number five, they are guilty people. And this is important. Because God will exercise His judgment on them too. In verse 11, we learn that although the Chaldeans were strong and powerful, they were a guilty people. Their might is their God. In chapter 2, we'll see that God has a response for their wickedness as well. No No wicked person will be left unpunished. He will judge the Chaldeans, although their instruments of judgment in the hands of God, they would be responsible for the oppression that they would bring on the people of God. And, and here's what I believe was so surprising for Habakkuk. Habakkuk believed that his intercession would lead to a right but gentle answer from the Lord because Habakkuk believed that there were different levels of guilt before God. He thought Israel was guilty, but not that guilty. Their sin could not possibly be as bad as the sin of other nations. Friends, the reality is that we too think like this of ourselves often. We think we're not as bad as the other people. We think we're fine because Sunday mornings our neighbors don't go to church, but we do. We think we're fine because we have a church we're a part of. We have certain spiritual disciplines that we we practice week in and week out. But we don't realize that in our minute existence we have sinned against the infinite, eternally holy God. So God does not compare us to our neighbors. God compares us to Christ, who is holy and perfect. He's not concerned about how good we are in comparison to others. He compares us to Christ. And when compared to Christ, we all fall short in an incredible way. The message of Habakkuk is that we are all guilty. Is that we are all deserving of judgment. The Bible says that there is no one who is good. And if that's true, everyone deserves the judgment of God. God owes His mercy to no one. And if you are here today and you believe that God owes you mercy, you have not understood how great God's holiness and how deep and grave your sin is. Friends, apart from Christ, we are, as the Bible would say, objects of wrath and should be judged by wicked men. And yet, within this message of judgment, there is a message of mercy. There is one person who should not have been judged by wicked men, and yet he was. The Apostle Peter, preaching to the same Jewish people, 600 years later, spoke of Jesus who, unlike Israel, unlike you and I, was just and righteous in every way. And yet he was judged by the hands of guilty men. Acts two twenty two through 24 Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves know this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. The sinless one died, judged by the wicked ones. But God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held it. Friends, God has a purpose in judgment. And God had a purpose in judging our sins in His own Son. It is through judgment that God brings about salvation for His people. So God is not concerned that we are comfortable, but God is concerned that we are made holy. In this holiness, we can receive Nowhere else but in Christ. Because Christ died a death that was not His own. It was yours and it was mine. Christ died a death that He did not deserve and He's the only one. Only one in all of history. And He did so to destroy death. That's our great enemy. You see, Israel is looking at the Chaldeans. We are looking at death. Eternal death apart from Christ. And friends, anyone who dies not having faith in the work of Christ will experience eternal death, judgment, and punishment in hell. But us who believe in Christ, the judgment of Christ on the cross will suffice. It is enough. It is finished. He does not need to die again. Death will not have victory. Satan will not have victory. The world will not have victory. Jesus won. And when we are with him, we are victorious. Our great enemy is defeated. We do not fear, not because we're great, not because we're perfect, but because Christ is great. Christ is perfect. So, friend, if you're not in Christ, you are in danger of judgment. And this is not the Chaldeans. This is the judgment of God. You are saying yourself, I'm good enough to stand up before Almighty God, and I'm telling you, you're not. You need Christ. You need to be sheltered in Jesus. You need Him who has taken on the judgment on Himself. None of us stand before God because of our good works. We stand before God because Jesus intercedes for us Does it bother you when the guilty judges the innocent Well friends that only happened once in history when Christ willingly gave up his sinless life on behalf of you the guilty 1 Peter 3:18 For Christ also suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring bring us to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, may we find shelter in no one else. May we find refuge in no one else but in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for all those who are here. Lord, may our pride and self-reliance not get on the way of us knowing that we need Christ. We think we know what we need, but Lord, we don't. We did not come to Christ because we first loved Him, but because He first loved us. Christ came to seek and save The lost, and that's us. We were lost. So, Father, we pray that we would let down our pride, that we would let down our self-reliance, and that we would all run to Christ and know that in Him and in Him alone, we can find refuge and protection from the coming judgments. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Hey,